Are you looking for freedom? Freedom from the daily grind and hustle? Or just finding a way to live the life you always wanted? Then join us on the Investing for Freedom podcast. Our host, Mike Ayala, will help you discover new ways to find freedom with tips, insights, and interviews. You'll learn the exact systems he's used to travel the world and live his best life. True success and happiness are all about freedom. And here's your roadmap on how to find freedom on your own terms. Welcome to the Investing for Freedom podcast. Here's your host, Mike Ayala. Thank you for joining me on the Investing for Freedom podcast. Guys, I say this all the time, but I am just so freaking excited for our podcast today. My guest has not been a friend very long, but I'm excited about um, this conversation. I'm excited about the future. Um, This has just opened my eyes to so many things. And Mr. Phil Calandra, who's my guest today, um, (laughs) you know, so many times I talk about the Wall Street cartel and what what I'm excited about, the first time that I spoke with Phil, he said, hey, Mike, I am the Wall Street cartel, jokingly. And, and here's the thing. In this day and age, you know, we've got these positions on the right and the left. And I'm not just talking about politics. There seems to be these, you know, chasms between ideas. And if there's one thing that you know about me, I'm a student. I love to challenge not only my current thinking, um, but also ask, you know, what do I not know? And I've made it my life's, um, I guess, mission to really just get around people that are smarter than me and to really just dissect, you know, uh, a a good mentor of mine, Dan Sullivan uh, from Strategic Coach, he always talks about thinking about your thinking. And I don't think we do enough of that because we get ideas in our heads. And and there's this idea today of, um, you know, epigenetics and generations and generations of thinking. And, um, you know, Phil has really challenged me. um, And I think think this conversation is going to be great today because we get to... Um, really divide the chasm between different ideas. And so, you know, we have a guy from the Wall Street cartel today who, again, I've become a friend with, and I'm just really excited about this um, conversation because, again, we get these ideas in our head. And sometimes, you know, as Mark Twain so eloquently said, it's not what we think we know. Um, It's just, you know, it's challenging the ideas. And and is it what we know to be true? That, that matters or what we think we know that isn't actually true. And so I'm excited for this conversation. Thanks for being on the show today, Phil. I'm glad to be here with you, Mike. And I don't want people to be intimidated about the word cartel. I, I don't have a posse of uh, men and women with guns toting, uh, uh, toting our beliefs. But, you know, something you just said that really one of my mentors shared with me many, many years ago if what you thought to be true turned out not to be true, when would you want to know? Mm. And I think that's so appropriate in the world of finance and the state of our economy and the things that are thrown at us every single day. As you said, I I have over 20 years experience as a financial advisor, a fiduciary. Um, I've worked with many high net worth individuals, high income individuals, And it always comes back to me that the most successful outcome for for any of us is to follow the path of what you don't know you need to figure out or have somebody guide you to figuring out. It's like what you have inside of a box. If all the information you have is inside of a box, what do you do with information that comes at you from outside the box? You do one of two things. You dismiss it. And 
keep doing what you've always done, which is the definition of insanity, or you get a bigger box. Mm. And a lot of people don't think that way when it comes to money. Yeah, that's so good, man. Well, for context for the audience, why don't you take us backwards a little bit? Because I know your story. Um, let's let's dig into that a little bit. Just just set the context, and then, I, man, I have so many things I want to get into. Um, you might have to be a regular on the show, but we'll we'll see how that goes. I'm happy to. So so I didn't start my career in the financial services industry. I actually was a corporate consultant. Um, I did do some financial consulting, but on the corporate space. I was on an airplane September the 11th, 2001, and most people, if they have any seniority in their life, they know exactly where they were September the 11th. I was traveling to Florida to give a presentation. Obviously, that presentation at Florida State University was canceled, and I drove home from Tallahassee, Florida to Atlanta and knew that I was I had one-year-old twins at home. Um, I was not going to do the corporate travel gig the rest of my life. And of course, the world changed on September 11th. So um, the drive home from Tallahassee to Atlanta, I devised the idea of starting a financial planning practice. I did that with no clients. I did that with bootstrap financing and actually started in the insurance space. You see a lot of information about insurance products and some of them, some people feel it's a scam. Some people feel that it's the most legitimate. I can tell you that all those things do work, but I became a financial advisor right out of the gate in the insurance space in 2002, 2003, by the time I got started. And 20 years later, um, I'm now part of a multi-billion dollar firm and I exited or merged my firm with a bigger firm uh, just three years ago. So I've seen the gamut. I've kind of seen it all. And I said in the beginning, I've made a lot of millionaires. I've created a lot of wealth for families. And I think for me, over all of this time, the thing that resonates most is it's education. And that's what I value so much about the work you're doing, Mike, and your podcast and the King's Table. And it's just being knowledgeable. Uh, in our country, there's very little taught about money and about wealth. And in some circles, having wealth or having money is frowned upon. It's like we shouldn't celebrate richness or wealth. That's a problem for me because I think the, the, the more we do with our money, the more wealth we have, the more good we can do. I've always felt it in my own personal practice as an advisor. I wanted to do good. I wanted to do well by doing good. And I wanted to be happy doing well, doing good. And I think if people took that approach, they would be able to expand their financial education and and bring things full circle for their family. So that's a little bit about, you know, kind of my story. You know, this is so interesting because, you know, I worked with a coach for a couple of years. And one of the big things that I remember him talking to me about is, is a toward energy. And he was asking me questions, you know, he said, Mike, what do you want? And as we're having this conversation so many times as individuals, um, and on, I'll, I'll bring this back to education here in a minute. You know, I started, he's, he said, why do, why do you want financial freedom as we were having this conversation? And, you know, I started going backwards to like when I was little and, you know, my dad wasn't present and going to McDonald's was like this big deal to me. And I'm like, I don't ever want to not 
you know, have the freedom, financial freedom to do what I want to do. And I start making these comments and he paused me and he said, we need to think about, you know, what's motivating and driving you. And what I realized as he was taking me through that process, a lot of, a lot of my desires and the things that I were going after were, I was running away from something. Like it wasn't an energy of moving towards something. I was like, I don't want to be poor. I don't want to not be able to provide for my kids. I don't want to, you know, get to 65 and not be able to, you know, travel. And and he kind of shifted my thinking around this more toward a toward energy. This is exactly how he kind of, he said, Mike, we need to start thinking through the lens of not what do we not want in our life, but what do we want? And I think so many times in the financial space, and, and I'll frame this a couple of ways before I toss it back to you. Um, you know, somebody there as humans, I think there's a big pendulum swing. So, you know, I, I want you to get into a little bit here in a few minutes about, you know, further on the education piece and, and just really the way that we're kind of taught the system that we live in. And, and once somebody kind of like, you know, the blue pill, red pill, um, you know, once we take the right pill and, and our eyes are opened, we tend to pendulum swing. So we go so far one way or another. And what I'm excited about in this conversation is really to come to the center because I'm not, you know, anti Wall Street, anti S&P 500, anti 401k. But in the conversation, when when you're really just like kind of, you know, trying to wake somebody up, it's almost like, you know, just even back to the Wall Street cartel, it's almost like you could take the position of like, I'm anti, you know, traditional things. In fact, I'm, I'm like literally right now in the middle of going through new life insurance, because it's something that, you know, we all need to be analyzing and looking at. And I agree. Yeah. I don't really look at life insurance from my perspective as an investment because I can get Correct. a better return on other things. However, one of my early advisors early, early on, he said, Mike, you need to make sure that you're insured properly because, you know, we had little kids at home and and he was like, Kara's a stay-at-home mom. And if you left her with a mess, you know, you do not want her in mourning to marry the first yahoo that comes along because that guy's going to, you know, he's going to father your children. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> Um, but also, you know, as we as we compound wealth and we have more complex businesses, like I'm not opposed, you know, to any of the Wall Street instruments. Again, from a pendulum swing standpoint, it's kind of like when you grab somebody to try to wake them up, it's almost like you have to like go to this extreme. But I think somewhere in the center, and you were talking about this off camera, and and I will toss it back to you now. But you know, you were talking about really a financial strategy and plan and, and goals right. behind that. And I just love that so much because it doesn't matter to me if it's a business, real estate, S&P 500, 401k, whatever it is. If you don't have a true strategy behind all of this, then we're just staying on the rat race. And an early coach of mine said, if your business or in this, you know, context might be your investment portfolio, isn't helping you achieve your personal goals, you're just a slave to another job. So uh, really excited to kind of open up this uh, Pandora's box of conversation. Sure. So I think the first thing that comes to my mind, Mike, is for me and for many people that are listening to us today, money is not the goal. Freedom is the goal. The purpose that you assign to the money. Um, I'm like you. I was raised by a single mother. Um, she had three kids at home and was making $16,000 a year. We didn't know we were poor. We didn't know we didn't have much of anything. We just got on our bike and jumped over logs and were being kids. 
but I did know that I wanted to have the financial freedom to make decisions that I otherwise was not or couldn't see my mother making uh, as I was growing up. So I think that's number one. Money is not the goal. If it is the goal, then it's very going to be very shallow for most people. Um, in the context of achievement of goals, I would say if you can't articulate it, if you can't really define for you individually, your spouse, your family, what the goal is, how do you get from point A to point B? People get that wrong. And I think a lot of financial advisors get that wrong. They focus solely on the investment as opposed to figuring out where am I go? Where am I trying to ultimately get to? And what is my desired outcome? Because once you know the goal and the desired outcome, then you can build the plans around that. You mentioned, you know, you're in the process of buying life insurance. We need to have a sidebar conversation. I have a very strong opinion about life insurance and how is the proper way to incorporate that from a strategy standpoint. So think of it this way, to desire your financial outcome or to, to achieve your goals in life financially, if that is freedom for you, maybe it's a dollar amount. A lot of people say, you know, I want to be a millionaire. What does that mean? So a lot of millionaires in the United States and around the world, they're not happier just because all of a sudden they have a million. I can assure you of that. But determine what your goal is and then focus on the concepts. It's almost like things are building blocks. And we're not taught that. That's where you and I are in agreement. The financial literacy in our country sucks. People are not taught about stocks and bonds and alternatives and life insurance. So how do you learn those things? You learn them through your associations, through experiences, some of them good, some of them bad. Um, but I think if people would step back and think about the building blocks or the concepts of money, that will probably... Um, I can't guarantee anything, that would probably help them get closer and closer to their desired outcome. Yeah. It's so, concepts of money. We're not taught that. Yeah, it's so good. And I, I have kind of an extreme, um, you know, take on, and again, this might just be a, you know, shake you out of your boots statement, but but I truly, you know, believe this structurally in the system was having this conversation the other day and I made a comment probably three or four years ago on social media and my wife was like, man, I don't know if you should have said that. But I made this statement. I said, your boss will never pay you enough to be his neighbor. And, you know, within that statement, if you want to be your boss's neighbor and you want to be an employee and there's nothing wrong with that, I'm not anti-W2. Some of the most happy, successful people I know are W2 employees. So I'm not anti you know, work for somebody else. In fact, the majority of, you know, my investors are still W2 investors. They're not entrepreneurs who are getting their sleeves dirty and trying to build a business. Right. There's nothing wrong with that. It comes back to what you were saying about just really knowing what your outcome is and what your desire is and what you really want out of life. But that statement of your boss will never pay you enough to be his neighbor. If you want to be your boss's neighbor, then you have to figure out, as you said, like, what is my financial strategy here? And it's probably not going to be completely off of, you know, working a nine to five job. But it's no different for a business owner. And I say this so many times, you know, there's, there's hundreds of thousands, millions of business owners in the United States of America. My wife and I talk about this all the time, you're driving down the street, and in Austin, Texas, and you just look at businesses everywhere. I don't know if people have paused to look at this or think about this, but like there's businesses on every corner. And I sit here and think about like, 
how many of these business owners are actually achieving the success in life that they actually want? And so, you know, that statement that I made was not really about whether it's right or wrong to be an employee or a business owner or anything else, but it's that financial strategy that you're talking about. And one other thing that I've been thinking about for quite a while, when I was in Hawaii a few years back, I think it was actually the year 2000, and I was hearing this story about the early plantations and all these people moved there and they lived on the plantation. And the crazy thing was like they got their food from the store at the plantation and, you know, they lived, they had housing on the plantation. And so the plantation would pay them, but not like we get paid, you know, normally they would get credits on site. And so they would have credit at the store. They would have credit for their housing. And I'm like, this is like legalized slavery. And it got me thinking about, you know, just the system that we live in. And again, I'm not anti like W2 or any of that. But when you think about the system that we're kind of raised in today, and you think back to slavery, and I'm not talking about like race, religion, I was actually reading in the Old Testament all the way back to Egypt and, and you know, how the Jewish people were slaves. But Kara yeah. was actually asking me the other day, she said, do you think that they were, you know, treated badly? Well, you know, obviously they were beaten, but there's a lot of ideas around slavery that isn't like what we think when, when we talk about slavery, it's like when, when you're a slave, you're just working for someone else. You're not actually working for your own benefit. And, you know, in the early 1900s, the industrial revolution and slavery was, had been abolished. And, and then we come up with this entire system where, you know, you, 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 you don't work on the farm anymore. You're not part of your, you know, family's business and all of that. You go to work for a manufacturing plan. This is where the unions come in and all this stuff because of, you know, bad treatment. But at the end of the day, you clock in, you clock out, the government gets their money first. You know, maybe you're investing in a 401k, you get to take home a percentage of what you make. And even in the financial world, it's like pay yourself first. I've always loved that thinking because if you don't start to do that, then you're just buying into a system of legalized slavery at the end of the day. No, you bring up a very valid point. And I, I have worked with business owners um, that have exited, you know, nine figure businesses. I've worked with lottery winners. I've worked with entrepreneurs. I've worked with mom and pop that worked in the plant W2. And those are all viable ways to achieve your happiness it really comes back to what your goal is. If you're an entrepreneur, and you and I are going to agree on this, being slave to a W-2 or, or having the restrictions of or a capped ceiling of some type is an abomination. That's something that you wouldn't go for. And, and when I started my firm from scratch with zero, I just knew that I had confidence in myself. That doesn't make it right or wrong, but I think that when you build up on these concepts, the financial concepts, and the things that I would share, I will tell you this, the things that I would advise or recommend to an entrepreneur or business owner, in many cases are very different than the financial planning strategies, concepts uh, that somebody is a W-2 earner. Um, there are a lot of uh, very, very successful, high-earning families that are W-2 earners, uh, engineers, um, you know, corporate attorneys, um, physicians in a health system, uh, nothing wrong with that. You just have to recognize, I think, in your financial planning and your financial growth, where do you fit in that? Um, 
So I just say that the, the advice that I would give to an entrepreneur or a business owner in many cases could be different, very different than, than the W-2 employee. Uh, but I think you're right. We In this country, uh, if you go back 30, 40 years ago, I'm a little bit older than you are, but, you know, it was always thought you, you know, you graduate high school, you have to go to college. Heaven forbid you didn't go to the college in, in you know, the 80s, in the 60s and the 70s. It was in vogue to go in the military. Um, I was raised by an army colonel. My grandfather was 38 years of an army colonel, and he begged me and for for most of my life told me never to join the military. That was in the mid 80s, early 80s. So I went to college. Now, how is it today? Um, very successful people can come from uh, no education, no college, no military. But we were always taught, you know, you go to school, you get an education, and then you go to, you know, work, and you spend your 30 years and 40 years in that career, you save, uh, you know, you spend less than you make, live below your means, you put it away into an investment account called a 401k, and you turn around, you know, a couple decades later, and you've amassed maybe enough um, with social security to live the lifestyle you want. That's a death sentence to some people, Yeah, but it is a way for people to accomplish if that's their goal. Yeah. I love it. You know, we talked about the pendulum swing and you've mentioned this a couple of times and I'm going to give you permission. Um, <laughs> you've said, you know, what you and I will agree on. I've had the privilege of having some great conversations with you again. I haven't known you that long, but what I was really excited to have this conversation and in, you know, future conversations around, it's that idea of, you know, I just don't know what I don't know. And so you've mentioned a couple of times, you know, what you and I will agree on. I want to give you permission, like, what are some of the things that maybe you and I maybe potentially don't agree on, or there's even a perceived because of mm -hmm. some of my extreme, um, you know, conversation, which, again, maybe it's just shaking people up. Um, what are maybe some of the things that you know, people that focus on real estate and alternative investments and all of that need to understand that maybe you would think that you and I wouldn't agree on? Yeah, that's a good question. Wow. I'd have to think really quick on my feet. I think the thing, I would say the core of a well-developed portfolio, we may differ on. I think that somebody should build the baseline or the, the, the corpus of their portfolio around traditional investments. I wouldn't come out of the gates saying you need to look at alternative investments or even real estate or leveraged real estate. I would, I would probably recommend the majority of people build the, the, the first block in the portfolio is going to be a very simple S&P 500 Vanguard ETF, very low cost. You're not, good investors don't invest in indexes. They don't invest in the small caps or the Dow Jones or the NASDAQ. You're investing in businesses. So maybe I'm going into an area where we would agree. If you buy the S&P 500, the Vanguard 500 index, VOO, the most common ETF in the world, you're buying 505, actually, it's not 500, of the large cap businesses on an index. I would probably say 
start with that and build yourself around a portfolio that's kind of centered in the 500 largest companies in America. Um, then you can expand after that. So that might be one area that we probably disagree on. I'm not suggesting that you don't buy alternatives or crypto or real estate or manufactured housing, which you and I, I you've taught me so much about that. Um, it's not an area that I was ever exposed to, but I want to learn about it. So that would be one area. The other maybe that I was going to bring up, and I don't know your opinion, is is about debt, right? What I would call finance 101. And let me give you my explanation, and then you can tell me, Mike, whether we agree or disagree. Many people have the understanding and the illusion that debt is bad, that you should never carry a mortgage, that you should never finance an automobile, that you don't want to go into debt. Now, there's good debt and there's bad debt, but I would call it finance 101. And basically, we finance everything we buy. You either earn interest or you pay interest. Mm -hmm. So a lot of high net worth individuals that I've coached realize using other people's money and paying interest can be a huge advantage because if you're, if you're not paying interest, you're losing interest. For example, if I want to go buy a new, um, I have been looking at cars, but I'm holding myself back because I don't like to spend money on automobiles. I've done that in my younger years, but you know, you got to buy a car. The car is going to cost you $50,000. Cool. I have $50,000 $50, sitting in my money market, my Schwab account, whatever it is. Many people would take the $50,000 and just go past, pay cash for the car. That's not right or wrong, but recognize as soon as you take that $50,000 out of your investment pool, you're losing interest. So is it better to go into debt and earn interest then lose interest. And a lot of people don't think that through. Um, how do you collateralize? Uh, if you're a business owner, if you have a, a stock portfolio, could you collateralize your asset and double dip? So whereby you borrow the money from yourself, continue to earn the rate of return, and you don't lose the interest in the backside of whatever it is you're going to buy. So I don't know if we agree on that or not, but sometimes other people's money and going into debt the right way can be a tremendous leg up in building wealth. Yeah, such a good point. And, you know, I'll pull it back to the education piece because, um, you know, I invited you to talk about what we disagree on. And again, I, you know, kind of have sometimes some, some extreme uh, statements that I make, but really at the end of the day, there's one thing that I've learned about myself and there's an old statement, you know, never compare your year one to somebody else's year 20. But the thing that I've realized within that statement is there's also a ton of different personality types. And what I love about what you just said, and I actually agree with both things that you said, um, <laughs> I, if you would have asked me this 10 years ago, or even maybe five years ago, I might have taken, you know, a little harder stance on statement number one, definitely not statement number two. But the thing that I've realized is, you know, back to your um, statement, and I guess just, you know, how passionate you are about education in the financial space. I think that's the important differentiator. The one thing that I've realized about myself is, you know, from a young age, I didn't have anything to lose. And so, and I'm kind of, you know, a risk 
tolerant person anyway. I'm an entrepreneur, you know, it's it's in my fabric. But what I've also realized is that the majority of people, two things about them. Number one, they are not going to take the level of risk that I will. And number two, I'm I'm an extreme devourer of education um, to the point where my family laughs at me because, you know, I've learned to brew beer. Um, I've learned to age beef. Like I get into all these things and I just like want to know everything I possibly can about it. And it's no different with real estate, business, investing, um, even, you know, an index fund or the S&P 500. If I'm going to do something, I'm going to go learn. But what I've realized is most people don't have an appetite for risk. And they would probably have a larger appetite for risk if they would do number two and get educated. And I think that's where the rubber meets the road on the things that you said. And it was actually Chris Harder, who's a mutual friend of ours now, um, that actually opened my eyes to this because Chris is, you know, one of my greatest friends, but started out as a, a really amazing mentor. And he was always talking about, you know, telling his his audience to, in, you know, invest in an index fund and, and, you know, just put some money away. And I'm like, bro, what are you talking about? Like, why are you telling people to do that? You're like an influencer. But what I realized is, you know, even back to Dave Ramsey, um, I, I used to just be like, I'd throw everything he said out the window. But what I've come to realize is that most people can't handle credit cards and most people can't handle debt and most people right. can't handle their finances. And it's an education problem, right? Right. Oh, gosh. I mean, I could I could talk endlessly about this. I call it financial maturity mm. because when we enter the workforce, yeah, let's say you did the college thing or you went in the military or you skipped it all and you just were an entrepreneur. You don't know what you don't know. You have a box and everything, you know, fits in the box. So either you dismiss it or you get a bigger box. So people go through, it's like the car thing, right? Um, or the big house. Um, you make all those decisions based on your financial maturity. Um, if you if you recognize that your goal is, let's say, decamillionaire, right? I want to be, I want to have a net worth of 10 million. Well, then if that's the most important thing and that's your goal, if that's the, you know, not that it's the money amount, it's the freedom that comes with $10 million, then you're going to put all of your energy, your mindset and your effort into achieving that goal. Likewise, if somebody is frivolous with money and they just want to, uh, what do they call that? Um, flex, you know, uh, so I want a Rolex. Who cares? I wear a Garmin. It's digital. Who yeah. cares whether what kind of watch you have? But if that person is so, you know, hung up on, I got to have a Rolex or I've got to have the next greatest Mercedes or now it's Rivian or whatever. If those are your decisions, I'm not, I'm not uh, casting judgment. I'm not uh, telling you not to do that, but understand your financial maturity is going to dictate do I want to have a DECA millionaire or do I want to have a, a new Escalade and, and Rolex? And, and why not think about having both? It just comes with an element of maturity. And I think so much of what I've learned in advising clients is money is a game. It's no different than uh, the game of tic-tac-toe. So the first time you played tic-tac-toe, your, your kids probably don't play tic-tac-toe with you anymore. I have twin sons that are going to be 25, so I don't play tic-tac-toe with them. But the first time you played tic-tac-toe, 
there are no rules, you know, X's and O's and whoever goes first, typically first time you play puts the X in what the center block. And you quickly learn that whoever goes first should win every game of tic-tac-toe. And it's not best to go in the center block. But you repeatedly play the game and you repeatedly lose to the person that's teaching you the game until you figure out that if I go first, I'm going into one of the corners, not into the middle. But it's the game. And until you learn that game for yourself, you repeatedly lose the game. And I think money is a lot of that way. So we talk about, we jokingly talk about the cartel. Maybe there are things that Wall Street, realtors, mortgage brokers, um, you name me the financial salesperson. Maybe there are things in the game that they know that you don't know. And you're repeatedly going to make the mistakes until you figure out the game. And that comes with financial maturity. Yeah, such a such a good point. Um, Okay, so I want to get your take on this because um, you've mentioned it, and again, I'll just kind of circle back to what you said in the context behind this. I know I understand it's not about money, um, but in the context of money, you know, it, it's obviously about desires and values and dreams and goals and what you really want. But in the context of money, you've mentioned a couple times, like when somebody said, I want to be a millionaire, and when you said deck a millionaire, a, a switch kind of went off in, in my brain there because when you look at the rules of money and the system that we're in, and I'll give you a little context. Um, I'm in a group called GoBundance, which I joined in 2018, and the barrier to entry was a million dollars, right? You had to have a million. It was basically accredited investor status. This community was and is still amazing. Um, but the re- one of the main reasons why it was amazing is because they had a monetary barrier to get into it so that, you know, you're with your peers, but then they also have other pillars, authentic relationships, extreme accountability, all of these things, right? And so in order to get accepted into the community, you kind of had to fit this cloth. And it was pretty much like referral only. But then you fast forward to like, I started seeing this in like 2021, 2022. Um, It was still a million dollars net worth. And I started seeing like, not the quality of human that was in the room, but the conversation started to change. Mm, And I was like, what's going on here? And what I really, there was a conversation that happened a lot in GoBundance and and we were seeing it before our eyes with inflation and and the ability to make a lot of money in real estate in a short period of time because, you know, we were in this period of time where it was really easy to make money in real estate. Debt was super cheap and opportunity was big. Education was out there like never before. And also with inflation, it kind of came to the point where a million dollars of net worth didn't mean what it meant five years ago or 10 years ago, or, you know, when the millionaire next door book was written. Right. So when you said deck a millionaire, what do you think? And I know there's a million different answers for this, but what do you think just back to your statement on, you know, a million dollars of net worth, that goalpost in my mind has moved quite a bit. So what are your thoughts on that? Oh, gosh. Yeah, I agree 100%. If you had gone to your parents or grandparents, a million dollars was like all the money in the world. So it's all relative. And, you know, you you beat back inflation. So GoBundance probably needs to move the goalpost. It probably needs to be two million, maybe three million. Um, 
that's a tough one to answer because it's relative to everybody. You know, a million dollars might be enough to provide somebody financial freedom, whereas someone else, it certainly might not provide them financial freedom. And again, that gets back to our own individuality. It's our own goals. It's, an, it's, it's what's important about money to you and the freedom that comes with it. Um, but I will tell you, uh, the, the million-dollar goalpost is probably a very low one for most affluent or upper-middle-class families in our country. Um, you know, the 4% rule, you know, that's an old Wall Street stalwart, right? 4% withdrawal rate on a, you know, moderate 60-40 type portfolio, 4% withdrawal rate. You can adjust for inflation and never run out of money. Well, think about that. If a million dollars was your investable net worth, not your home value, not your personal property, that means you'll be able to spin off about $40,000 a year off of that million dollars. 4% of a million is 40000 Add in your Social Security. Maybe you have a rental property. You're looking at a retirement income of, I don't know, sixty-five, $85,000. Many people can retire and live very abundantly on eighty-five thousand. I have personally met and 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 know many people that eighty-five thousand dollars a year of retirement income would be very disappointing. It doesn't provide that financial freedom. Again, not a judgment. It's different for every every person. But I think that's where you have to. I come back to the concepts and the money game how do you play the game and it starts with what's the objective of the game you know, yeah uh, everybody's going to look at it a little different i made this statement a while back that you can't eat your net worth and i love what you said about a million dollars of investable income because this is another i guess fallacy that we've really bought into i mean so many people look at their net worth statement and that house is a big part of that which yeah. i'm not saying that's right or wrong but you know, I think it's really important to differentiate that investable net worth because you can't eat your net worth. I mean, I could have a property, yeah. you know, that's maybe it's spinning off some cash flow and maybe it's got a good net worth. But if I can't tap the equity or I can't sell it or whatever it is, um, it's such an important differentiator that I think a lot of people on the just back to the education side don't really yeah. think about. Yeah, well, I think any good financial planner uh, that calls himself that and any good financial plan focuses on net worth, but it also focuses on the cash flow statement. Because you're right, you can't eat the brick mortar foundation of your house. And I saw something recently that was just total BS, you know, that 90% of all millionaires did it in some way with real estate. And I can tell you that is absolutely not true. Real estate is a function of building net worth and building wealth. Um, but that's not the only way to build wealth and you can't eat your bricks, mortars, foundation of your house. So I think if I were advising a client, it would be the net worth statement and the cash flow statement, because as you go further and further, deeper into your retirement or your financial freedom, that's another thing we didn't, we could talk about. Retirement is a BS word. Who, nobody, I, I, I can speak for myself. I don't ever want to retire. I want to go to the grave working and enjoying and doing, uh, you know, probably advising clients or educating people or doing a podcast with you, Mike. <laughs> That's how I want to go out. Um, other people talk about retirement is I'm never going to work again. I'm going to sit on the front porch and drink lemonade. That sounds like a, that's boring to me. Um, 
but coming back to this idea of you know what is what is right for the individual separate your financial net worth from your cash flow um and that'll help direct a lot of investment decisions as well. How are you going to spin off a retirement or a financial freedom type of income if you only have real estate? Yeah. In 2007, 2008, I imagine there was a lot of people that were sadly, sadly uh, displaced because they had all their money in Robert Kiyosaki's dream of <laughs> not saying you shouldn't do it. I own properties, but... Uh, it's not going to be the whole of my net worth. <laughs> no. Yeah. And I think what so many people don't understand too, and and I've really dissected this the last couple of years, like real estate is just another business at the end of the day. And right. I actually think that everyone should own a rental, but you know, back to the, I think everybody should probably own some stock. And I think everybody should have a, you know, if, if you're, if you're an employee and your employer is going to give you six percent or ten percent or whatever and match you you should be doing that um so but at the end of the day the thing that i've realized too is like you know real estate's just another business if you're going to go big yeah. into business you have to educate and learn that business at the end of the day and you know i i think just back to the education piece and you've kind of just tied this back to this so many times but it's really a just about you know figuring out what it is that you want out of it and then going all in on that and just trying to figure out how to be the best at that that you can be. I'll say this quickly, um, in GoBundance, this is a great example. Um, there's a group called the Champions that I'm part of, which is uh, like an upper level. And they do a survey of you know people's net worth, basically. And the majority of those people, the majority of their net worth is, even though it's a room full of real estate investors, the majority of their net worth, back to what you said about the 90% being you know bullshit, um, the majority of the net worth in that group of people is in their core business, not right. in real estate. And so many people lose this idea where I've came back to the idea of a flywheel. We get distracted by the pretty thing, whether it's, you know, real estate, alternative investing, whatever, Bitcoin, whatever the new fad is. And in reality, it's focusing on whatever your flywheel is and staying focused on that thing that makes you the money and then invest it in all these things that you're talking about. And that's how you truly compound wealth, in my opinion. Well, right. And what makes the flywheel spin? It can't be one bearing. It's not one thing. I see this frequently, especially with the entrepreneur, their whole net worth, their life savings, their desire for future financial outcomes is tied up in that one thing. Do not do that. Mm -hmm. it's, the, it's the theory of diversification. Like you're not going to put all of your money on Facebook stock. You'd be smart in dividing your portfolio up amongst an index or a broad diversification of stocks. Too many times people, because they see that flywheel spinning on one axis, your real estate portfolio, your, your, your course, your core, as you said, your core business, but don't lose sight of the diversification. Um, I always, for me personally, I want to have multiple streams of income. That was actually a title of a book by Robert Allen. He was one of the original real estate gurus. A lot of people don't remember Robert Allen. He's shown up recently on some social media, but he wrote a book called Multiple Streams of Income, and it really resonated me with me. I want to have my business income, my investment dividends and interest, my alternative investments, my real estate, um, you know, cash value life 
life insurance if that's a desire of yours. So think of it that way. Don't pigeon your hole yourself into one thing because when the lights go out, it gets dark real quickly when the lights go out on that one idea that you have. Yeah. And so many times when I'm talking, I go back to my early days as an entrepreneur. And the reason why I do that, I had this successful business that was growing and scaling. I had a good CPA. I had a good coach. And they told me, you know, take some of this cash and invest it. And that's how I really got into real estate. It was because I was a successful business owner. And then I was investing in real estate on the side. I didn't go full time into real estate till 2015. I was a business owner. So I know you have a hard stop coming up in three minutes. So I'm just going to leave it back to you. Um, what, what have we not talked about that people need to know and then, you know, close it off with where can they find Yeah. Wow. Thanks. Thanks so much, Mike, for the opportunity. I hope we can do this again. I, you know, I think I would come back to this. Whatever you set your mind to, ultimately you can achieve. I believe that whether it's in your business, whether you're investing portfolio, your financial plan, the thing that derails most people. And I tell this directly to clients. I do not proclaim that the investments that I would select as your advisor will outperform anybody else's investments. But I do claim that you as an investor will outperform the vast majority of other investors for this one reason, behavior management. Mm. People think that the investment is going to be the solution. It's not. It's the investor's behavior. About 80% of what I do is managing a client's expectations, their goals and milestones and timelines. It's our human nature that trips us up. You could have the greatest mindset, the greatest investment in the world. And if you get derailed because of this and this, your heart and your head, those are emotions. Um that's going to be the problem for most people. 20% of what a good financial or advisor does is the plan and the investments. The other 80% is your behavior, managing, not blowing yourself up. I guess if, if our listeners would take this to heart, the number one reason people don't achieve their financial goals is they blow themselves up. Mm. They want to get rich quick. You mentioned fads. They panic. Oh, gosh. 2024, we're starting out of the gates very well. 2023 was a great market year. 2022 sucked. I'm telling you, folks, there's going to be a market correction. What's going to determine your financial success or failure is how you react, how you respond. All success in life comes from acting. Mm. All failure in life comes from reacting. So whether you use a financial advisor or not, whether you see value in the fee, 1%, half a percent, forget that. The determining factor is going to be whether you act on your plan or you react on your plan. And if you let emotions get in the driver's seat, the car is going to crash. And I have found over 20 years advising clients, high net worth, high income clients, the ones that can't control their emotion, they're the ones that fall short. Um, so get educated, look at concepts, forget about the investment. Now it's like playing a round of golf, right? You need golf clubs to play a round of golf, but is there one club that is the best club for the round of golf? No, you need all the bag of clubs. And if we went to the, you know, next month in April, two months, 
the Masters golf tournament in Augusta just down the road from me. If we went to the Masters golf tournament, Mike, and I gave you the choice of either Tiger Woods, I think he's the greatest golfer of all time. I give you a choice, Tiger Woods swing or Tiger Woods golf clubs. Which one would you take? I'd take a swing. Absolutely. Because the swing is the money. The clubs don't matter. Mm. Don't worry about the investment vehicle. Focus on the swing because you could put the a hickory stick in Tiger Woods' hands and he's still going to beat me in a round of golf. I can go to the PGA Superstore and buy the next big Bertha, you know, ultimate driver and I might get five yards further, but five yards further in the woods is not going to help my score. I'm still going to shoot over 100. Focus on the swing. That's where the money is. Um, and that's what I have to say about that. Nice. Well, I'll uh, leave you to your next meeting. Where can people find you or is that a thing? Yeah, they can find me. Um, you know, I keep a little Instagram handle. It's P Calandra one on Facebook. It's Phil Calandra. Um, I'll give you my cell phone number. Text me six, seven, eight, four, two, seven, five, five, nine, eight, six, seven, eight, four, two, seven, five, five, nine, eight. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm here to help people. I don't take on a lot of new clients, but I'm always willing to talk to people, point them in the right direction. And I know you and I will be in touch. Uh, if somebody reaches out to you, you can, you know, send them my way if there's something I can help them with. Awesome. Well, I look forward to doing it again. Uh, appreciate your time on the show, Phil. Yeah. Good to be with you, Mike. If you found value in this episode and you know someone who's wanting to start or move further along in their journey toward investing for freedom, I would be forever grateful if you would share this show with them and help me get this message out to more listeners. Also, if you enjoy what you've heard, I would appreciate it if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. And until the next episode, cheers to moving further along in your journey of investing for freedom.